I now want to call on uh, Thornishta Joan Burton to formally launch this book. Uh, Thornishta is no stranger to Academy House. In fact, I've reached her here a number of times before. But Thornishta, I think this is the first time we've actually asked you formally to, to, to launch something for us. So I'm so delighted that you came along this evening uh, because Going through it at home, my husband was looking at it and he remarked on the number of trade union figures and women that featured in the volume. And once that was said, there was there was one person who I felt should be asked to do this. So thank you so much for coming here this evening. Look forward to listening to you. Uh, thank you very much, Mary and uh, John. And congratulations to the RIA uh, and to the OPW uh, for the commissioning of this work, uh, which is obviously going to be a very important contribution to people's understanding and learning and reading uh, about uh, 1916. And also in the case of a lot of the lives here, uh, we know that uh, uh, numbers of lives ended in death and execution. But then other people lived on, and that's one of the interesting things uh, about the book, uh, what happened next in the case of uh, those people who lived on, in some cases for a long number of years. So I want to thank you for the invitation uh, to be here this evening. And I do recall that last year, at this time last year roughly, the Academy published a colossal uh, five-volume set on our nation's art and architecture. And uh, if I can quote uh, John, uh, John Keats, these volumes are now and will be uh, forever a thing of beauty and, uh, and a joy forever. So tonight's volume of Portraits and Lives from the 1916 Easter Rising, it's a worthy addition uh, to the Academy's canon. I, can, I, I see that you are also proposing to publish soon another volume called At Home in the, Re uh, At Home in the Revolution, What Women Said and Did in 1916 by Lucy McDermott, uh, which will be another welcome contribution to the books about the 1916 events and the women uh, whose role has largely been ignored. Uh, Leinster House, for instance, it's full of portraits, uh, but it took many decades before even one portrait of a woman appeared on the um, hallowed walls of Leinster House. And that was one of Constance Markovics, uh, which entailed a great search by the women who were elected uh, in 1992 when there was a surge, small surge, uh, of women uh, uh, elected into the Doyle. And there was a big um, search, uh, I suppose, around Ireland, but particularly around Dublin. And eventually a portrait of uh, Countess Markovitz uh, was found in the then Department of Labour, painted by her husband. And it now graces the staircase going up uh, to the Shannon. And it really is a fine uh, portrait, but it's been, um, it is the most outstanding portrait of a woman in the house. There was one of Mary McAleese, uh, and indeed previously, possibly of Mary Robinson, but as soon as they stopped being president of Ireland, um, their portrait was whisked away. And uh, that's a bit of a loss uh, to Lancer House. 
Um, I don't uh, think uh, that the place of women in 1916 uh, featured much in the 50th anniversary of the rising. Uh, by then, uh, a lot of the women involved in politics uh, were either relatives uh, or uh, partners or spouses of uh, former TDs or indeed widows um, of TDs. So I think it's really good uh, that the omission in the 50th uh, anniversary celebrations, uh, that that's not going to be repeated uh, next year uh, because so much important scholarship has been done about women in the National Revolution. Uh, I've talked about the book that's going to be published quite soon, but we've also had Sinead McCool's uh, great and fascinating book um, about the uh, Easter widows, uh, the widows of the uh, men who died in 1916. And it really is absolutely fascinating. I would have thought I knew an amount having grown up in Dublin, uh, but in fact, on reading all of these different uh, biographies, one realizes you know, the breadth and the depth of the people who were involved in what was um, a national revolution, a political revolution, and a cultural revolution that basically made, in many ways, uh, the founding statements about Ireland as a country. In that context of women, uh, we're remembering the fearless uh, leadership of Constance Markovitz. She was an active member of the Citizen Army at the time of the Rising. She was one of a few dozen women who took up arms and actively engaged in combat. Many others gave support to those who fought. They ran messages, cared for the injured, organized supplies, helped in communicating between different points of resistance. Uh, Nurse Elizabeth O'Farrell, she uh, tendered the surrender on behalf of Pierce uh, when the rising had, had run its course. Uh, so what we have this evening is a collection of extracts from the Academy's earlier dictionary of national biography. And I want to congratulate everybody who's been involved in that enormous effort and which is again, uh, I think now, firmly part of, of, of uh, the culture, the cultural institutions of Ireland uh, in book form. Just as we've had great books uh, from the monastic era, we now have a number of great books from the foundation era of the state uh, and from the figures associated with the state. Um, it, I think it's easy uh, to pick out the names that are most associated uh, with the rising and inevitably uh, we're talking about the signatories uh, and the people who were executed and of course all of them uh, are men. And happily, the editors have cast a much wider net, and we have here snapshots of 42 lives, both in prose and uh, portraits. But true to the RIA, accompanied by fairly hefty footnotes uh, for those who wish to dig deeper uh, into the provenance uh, of the scholarship uh, that underpins uh, these portraits. So the names that we can all remember and murmur, as Yeats did, McDonough and McBride, Connolly and Pierce, they're all here. But so too are so many others who do not instantly come to mind, but who equally played courageous, though often forgotten roles in these events. I want to mention a few whose uh, names I personally know and have come to know uh, with particular affection and interest for various reasons.
Uh, Councillor uh, Richard O'Carroll uh, was a Labour member of Dublin City Council and friend uh, of Connolly and he was the leader of the Brick and uh, Stone, uh, Stone Layers Union and in fact I think some of his relatives uh, are actually uh, here tonight, somebody suggested to me on my, my, my way in. Um, the union had a headquarters for many years in Cuff Street and the block of Dublin City Council flats uh, next door to the old Bricklayers Hall is now named after Richard O'Carroll. He was the father of seven children and uh, I've been honoured to meet them on previous occasions and look forward to meeting them again. Uh, Richard O'Carroll was captured in Camden Street on the 26th of April 1916 by the very notorious uh, Captain Bowen Coldhurst who shot him in the lung and left him lying in the lane. And he died nine days later uh, in great pain uh, in, in the hospital in Portobello. And um, that same day, on that very same day, uh, Captain Bowen Coldhurst, and the thing about the inclusivity of this book is that Captain Bowen Coldhurst's um, biography is in it as well. Um, he fatally injured uh, Francis Sheehy Skeffington, who is a most interesting figure in terms of the events in and around the Easter Rising and the decades preceding it, a pacifist, uh, a man of the left, a man of letters, an indefatigable uh, campaigner for women's suffrage along with his wife Hannah. And essentially, uh, Bone Coldhurst, who I think is commonly agreed was both mad and insane, uh, shot him. Uh, he was found guilty, uh, but insane, by a, co a subsequent court-martial. And that was a verdict uh, by, that was challenged uh, by Francis Sheehy Skeffington's widow, Hannah, whose efforts to expose her husband's murder are also recounted here. Another uh, story I think that uh, fascinates and certainly fascinates me concerns the Gifford uh, sisters who appear in two chapters, one devoted to Nellie Gifford and of course the romance of Grace Gifford and Joseph Mary Plunkett and their marriage uh, the day before his execution. And again, uh, that's rendered in, in song and music and I think has carried down through the ages. Uh, for, for a long time uh, in, my, uh, in my youth, I lived very close to Arbor Hill. Uh, and in fact, I have to say the local kids, uh, we played there. Uh, so we were sort of semi-familiar uh, with the stories of, of the different people. Uh, but the story uh, of uh, their marriage on the eve of his uh, execution uh, was one that was told uh, and, and retold. Uh, so it's one of the great romances, really, uh, of the 1916 period. And I think it's treasured by a huge number of people in Ireland uh, and abroad because of that. So in celebrating uh, these lives, we celebrate uh, to the ideals of the 1916 proclamation, the ideals of national self-determination, of free speech, of common ownership of property, of equal treatment before the law. Uh, these ideals speak to us with a cl clarity and with a simplicity that is timeless. Our values are universal values, values that belong to everyone who believes in the basic concept that all men and women are born equal. The Republic, 
republicanism does not belong to any one group, to any one set of people, or to any one political party. Uh, it would be much diminished uh, if it did. We're all of us equally entitled to call ourselves Republican. We are all equally entitled to be inspired by the values espoused in the proclamation uh, of the Republic. We're all equally charged uh, to make good in our time on the challenge posed to us by the women and the men who set out those founding principles uh, a century ago. And I have to say, when you see the portraits lined up here, and uh, some people are standing in front, I think, of some there, uh, they're quite amazing. You see Thomas Clark, there's a very moving portrait of Thomas Clark, and the emotionalism of his commitment to the Irish Republican Brotherhood, whom he believed firmly controlled everything. And we've heard that too in our day. And uh, you see over here on this very fetching bicycle, and I must say I pay enormous tribute uh, to David Rooney. I think uh, not only uh, do uh, we have uh, the scholarship of uh, James and Lawrence in editing the book, but we have this in, uh, amazing contribution of, 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 of uh, the uh, pieces by David Rooney to the life of the book. Uh, so the lady over here, I was intrigued to find out, is Margaret Skillinder, if I pronounce her name correctly. But she turned out after the rising, when it was very hard on anti-treaty Republicans to get jobs, um, the Sisters of Charity, who would have educated me, um, they employed her uh, in King's Inn Street. And in fact, she lived a very long and active life. She was an active participant in a very famous teacher strike uh, in, in the 1940s, in 1946, and subsequently was one of the first, and I think maybe the first president of the Irish National Teachers Organization. So there's an afterlife story of a lot of people who survived uh, the rising. But we also have uh, Sir Roger Casement. And one of the things that's interesting as well, there are uh, portraits of people like Helena uh, Maloney um, of the Abbey Theatre and indeed of Kathleen Lynn. And I suppose because this is uh, now a century uh, later, we have where people had partners. Uh, whether they were uh, same-sex partners or they were, uh, uh, you know, traditional spouses, they're all included. So we get this broader picture of what life was like uh, in terms of people who took part in the national movement and the inclusivity of that movement. It wasn't, uh, uh, while it was portraying an image of a potential Irish Ireland, a lot about it was not narrow and it certainly was not driven uh, by any type of religious hatred because the people that you see come from all sorts of backgrounds. So congratulations and for David and his illustrations, I'm delighted to have seen the film because looking at the book, as many of you will, I marveled at the animals, Pierce's cat, uh, the images of the birds between, beside the people who are being executed, which I'm sure has a particular significance, and the dog skulking a little bit uh, as um, the uh, proclamation is being read out. But most of all, I was wondering about the technique because it is like you can see the knife cutting the paper. 
And I'm delighted that the picture has revealed the secret of how these marvellous works were done. So congratulations to everybody uh, involved in the pro project, to all who contributed, and particularly, uh, as I say, to the editors and to David for a truly uh, outstanding and valuable contribution uh, to our understanding of the history of 1916. Thank you. Thank you.